Children's Church. As Miss Diana and Miss Rachel go for that time with the kids, reminder for the parents to pick up the children downstairs in the fellowship hall following the service this morning. And if you have a Bible, if you would open to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 1. So if you find Matthew, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, Acts 1. Last week we did the first part of this message, sensing that the Lord was leading us to uh, just look at that part. And we had a, a great time just responding to the Lord in worship and in prayer uh, in that time. And, and so today we'll do the second and third part, we're talking about the resources of heaven. And I shared about a speaker who was, one of the speakers who was at Mahaffey Camp this summer, Dave Jansen, who said, talked about the fact that he loved going into small churches because, and his role in being able to encourage and strengthen and, and bring hope where there was lack of hope in some small churches. He said, I love going into these smaller churches because he loved to talk about what they had. Often they would talk about what we don't have, and he loved to talk about with them what they had. They had 20 people. They had some money in the bank account. They had a building. And he talked about the reality that for Jesus, Jesus had 12. And if you think about Judas, you got to wonder, maybe he only had really 11. <laughs> he didn't have any money. He was reliant on people to supply his needs. He didn't have a home. He was reliant on hospitality as he moved around. And look what Jesus did. <laughs> He changed the world. And he talks about, Dave Jansen talked about the, the fact that it's easy for us to look at our resources in a physical sense. And that can either throw us on one side of the divide or the other, where we would say, oh, we have a lot. We have a lot of money. We have a nice building. We have a lot of people. Therefore, look how much we have. Or you may find yourself on the other side and say, we don't have a lot of people. We don't have a lot of money. we building, you know, whatever it may be. Either way, our trust is in our physical resources. And last week, we st started this series, or this sermon, on the resources of heaven. We talked about the greatest resource. The sermon notes that are in your bulletin are the same as last week. And so if you were not here, the, the greatest resource that we have is the presence. Jesus said in Matthew 28... Verse 20 in the Great Commission, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, that the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit is our greatest resource. That God wants to be with us, and he is with us. And we talked about that difference between his all the time, everywhere presence, and his manifest presence when he makes himself known. And we hunger and thirst for the manifest presence of Jesus, the manifest presence of his spirit. And I was so just encouraged last week as we leaned into that time. So we leaned into that time of worship and prayer, of welcoming the presence of Jesus and of standing and saying, Jesus, we want your purposes we repent of anything in the past where it's been about our methods and our plans and what we can accomplish, either good intentions but trusting in self or even just bad intentions. I'm going to do it my way. 
And just owning that from the past, sharing a little bit about the elders and how we've been on a journey of repentance and that being one of those things, just saying, Jesus, it's your plans, it's your purpose, it's your presence above all. And just how wonderful it was to be in the presence of the Lord. I had several people comment on the fact that that time was a ha- over a half hour <laughs> and how many people said, oh, it didn't even seem like that. It seemed like just a few minutes, but that is what happens when we're in the presence of the Lord. You kind of lose track of time because as we sang in that opening song, taste and see. When you're in his presence, you taste and see of the goodness. It's not just something we know about in our minds, but it's something that we encounter. He in his manifest presence. So that's where we were last week. And where we want to go is these last two resources of heaven today. And I know some of you who were here last week already know what they are because you uh, looked at the scriptures and you told me, I know what those are. So still ask we tune in here and see what God wants to do. So the second resource of heaven is power. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We said last week, Jesus said, it's better for me if I leave, because if I leave, I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus with us, abiding with us, living in us. He's the one who empowers us for holy living and for mission. Earlier in that passage in verses 4 and 5, the disciples were told to wait. It says, on one occasion, Acts 1-4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus, this is Jesus, He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus then shortly after ascends into heaven and the disciples go back to Jerusalem in obedience to the word of Jesus to go back and to wait for the Holy Spirit, the gift of my Father that has been promised. And it says in verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, it says that they all join together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In this upper room, they went back in obedience to the command of Jesus, waiting for the gift, the promise of the Spirit. For 10 days, we know that because the ascension of Jesus, and then what happens in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes them, There was a 10-day period. So imagine, verse 14 gives us a lot of context. For 10 days, they constantly were gathered together praying, waiting, seeking for the presence of the Holy Spirit to come, to baptize them, to fill them. In the Christian Missionary Alliance, we believe that there is a work of the Holy Spirit that is separate or subsequent to salvation. For some people, it may happen. Salvation, where the Holy Spirit comes and is a seal, the deposit, the guarantee, wherein salvation is promised. 
and the Spirit's presence is there. But there's a, a second subsequent work. Sometimes for some people who are hungry and desperate at salvation, it is at almost at the same time. There are two different works. One, which is salvation, where the Spirit renews us, regenerates us, makes us a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come, where he is the seal and deposit. But then there is a second work, this subsequent work of the Holy Spirit filling us or baptizing us, depending on what language. I'd, I'm less concerned over the language, and I'm more concerned of have we sought after that. where the Holy Spirit comes upon. And the Holy Spirit baptizes or fills a person. And often as believers seek for the manifest presence of God, this filling will happen. A.W. Tozer, who we did a whole series on lifting up our low view of God, says about the, the filling of the Spirit, says that he's never met a person who does not know that they have been filled with the Spirit of God. That everyone who has been filled, who had this subsequent experience with the Spirit of God, it's not a, hmm, I wonder. It's a, I know. The disciples knew. It was undeniable. Now, we are not a people in the alliance that believe that speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. We believe it is an evidence. But we believe that there should be evidence. There should be evidence. When the God of creation comes upon you in the filling of the Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit, whatever you want to call it, there should be evidence of some sort. We shouldn't have to just take it by faith. And Tozer says, everyone who's been filled with the Spirit knows it. And when... This filling comes, power comes. Power comes. I told you last week that you're probably going to get sick and tired of me and my illustrations of water with sermons and stuff like that. Last week talked about the presence, and you can, you can have water under your feet in an aquifer or some water spring, but in order to access it, there has to be some work done for it to be manifested, for you to know it. And so today... We're going to continue this idea of water for a little bit. I want you to imagine that this is you. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, it is a shot vac uh, extension tube. Okay, We go real high in the uh, expenditures on resources here for this stuff. But for the filling of the Holy Spirit to come, it is, it's necessary for us to be emptied. First. Because if we don't, it just either turns into a trickle or it gets blocked. And we get these blockings because there's stuff in our soul. There's stuff in our soul that deals with our identity, what we believe about ourselves. There's stuff in our soul of lies that we believe. We may not trust that God is good. We may not trust that God loves us. He may love others, but I don't know that he really loves me. There are lies that we may believe that, that God is not strong enough. God is not powerful enough 
to do what he says, that yes, we believe there's power, but does God really have enough power? There, there can be doubts. There can be lies that we believe. There can be sin patterns that remain in our lives. Maybe anger is that thing that just keeps coming up. Maybe it's your tongue. The words that you say, instead of speaking life, actually speak curses and death upon people. Maybe with your tongue, you are not talking to people when you have an issue with them. You're talking about them to a lot of other people, gossip or slander. Maybe it's greed, that you just want stuff. Covetousness, I like that person's stuff, I want his or her stuff. Maybe it's a sexual thing, whether it's lust or, or even desiring sexual relationships outside of the covenant of a husband and a wife in marriage. Maybe it's pride. Thinking, I got it. I'm great. I can do it. I don't need God. All of these things, that the, the examples, we could have lots and lots of examples. The scriptures are full of the sins of omission and commission, the sins of thought. But they're all things that, that block the fullness of the Spirit of God flowing through us. And there needs to be times in our lives where we come before the Lord and we seek and hunger and we wait upon him for what he wants to do, what he wants to reveal, that there might be confession, that there might be repentance, that there might be healing, that there might be freedom, that the fears that plague us, maybe even the wounds of the past that continue to come up, the memories of the past, of the things that have happened that we just can't get by, some people say the past is the past. Well, the past is the past unless it's visiting you in your present. And if the things of your past continue to visit you in your present, they're no longer just the things of the past. They're the things of your present. And Jesus wants to bring healing to those. There may even be the presence of the demonic. All of these things hinder the fullness of the filling of God by his spirit. And so coming to places of repentance, coming to places of sitting in the presence of Jesus we are able to come and these blocks are able to be removed. And this is where Jesus is much better at this than I am. Come on. There we go. He's able to remove these things. And instead of it being just a trickle or instead of it being just log jammed in there, the presence of the Spirit just flows. There has to be a cleaning out of the soul. There has to be a, a cleansing. There has to be an emptying of self for the Spirit of God to fill. And when he comes, he brings power. Power for holy living and power for mission. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't know that I can say like Tozer said, that you know that you know that you've been filled or baptized with the Spirit. You may have heard me, you may have not heard me, but I was fully convinced that I had been filled with the Spirit 
but I didn't fully understand this subsequent work of the Spirit, secondary. And I had been a pastor for over six years when I began to realize, after going on a missions trip and seeing things in people's lives, I started to say, I don't think I, there's something I'm missing here. And it led me on a journey of seeking the Lord for several months of just waiting, hungering, thirsting, praying. The Lord revealed things in my soul that I had to confess before him, that I had to be able to say things that were fears that were holding on to me, things that I would say, no, Holy Spirit, you can't do that. I was making the ground rules, and the Lord finally brought me to the place where I was at this place of surrender, and I was so hungry, and I was so desperate that I didn't have a choice. I don't care what this looks like. I need you. And it was in that place that I know that I know that the Spirit of God filled me. There was evidence of love for people that I had never had. It wasn't a love that was because I loved them. It was the love of God in me like I had never had for people before. And there was an increased desire for prayer, for worship, for being in his word, for having time with him. There were fruits of it. And so friends, these resources of heaven flowing from the presence it becomes one of those things when we're seeking his presence that power gets poured out. It's almost like it just happens. You can't seek his presence and not eventually come to that place. Some people say, why isn't it so instantaneous? I don't know about you, but I, it took some time to wrestle through all the things in my soul. It took a, t- it took a while for hunger to develop. It took a wire, while for desperation to come. I truly believe that the Spirit fills the desperate. So as we seek the presence of the Lord, His manifest presence, one of those things that will be an outflow is the Spirit being poured out in power. You may even be here today and be saying, yeah, I I had that, but I'm running a little dry these days. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, be continually being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one and done thing. There's always more from heaven with the Spirit's filling, continuing to come to the Spirit, surrendering to the filling of the Holy Spirit. The resources of heaven for his church his presence, his power. And the third resource we look at is authority. Authority. Back to Matthew 28, where we started last week. Matthew 28. Verse 18, I'll read the, the whole section. Matthew 28, 18. Through 20. Then Jesus came to them. This is the great commission that we refer to often and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. This is the presence to the very end of the age. Jesus said that all authority, and this is important, All authority in verse 18 in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
it's important for us to understand authority in two ways here. That Jesus and God has all authority in heaven, he says. Now that makes sense because God is in heaven. (laughs) He is enthroned in heaven. Heaven is his domain. Heaven is where he rules unopposed. Heaven is where worship happens all the time, where the 24 elders are around the throne. We see the picture in Revelation 4. And day and night and night and day, all they do is fall on their faces and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It is a place where the rule and reign of God is absolutely unopposed. Everything that God wants done gets accomplished in heaven. He has absolute authority in heaven. And so Jesus makes this statement. He says, all authority in heaven, but also on earth has been given to me. Authority on earth is a little bit different than authority in heaven. See, God gave Adam and Eve, as he created them and placed them in the garden, he gave them authority. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man or mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We see in this creative creation narrative of what God did, creating man in his own image and likeness, that he gave them the authority to rule over the earth. Heaven is the domain where where God rules. Earth was the domain where where he gave authority to Adam and Eve, to mankind, to rule, to fill the earth, if we would read on in Genesis 1, to fill the earth and subdue it, to bring it under the rule of humanity, which ultimately would be under the rule of God. Now we know in Genesis chapter 3 something happens. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and tempts them. And as he tempts them, Adam and Eve give in to the ploy of Satan. They eat of the one tree, the fruit of the one tree of the garden that they were not to eat from. And sin enters the world. Their eyes are open. They recognize their nakedness. They they recognize their shame. They hide from each other and they hide from God. And in the midst of all of this, what they did was they gave the authority that God had given to them to Satan. It's why when Jesus was tempted, one of the three temptations was Jesus takes him to the highest point of the temple and says, look at all the splendor, all the splendor of the kingdoms of the earth. If you worship me, Jesus, I will give them all to you. How in the world? Jesus doesn't say, that's not true, they're mine. Satan was the rightful ruler of the earth because Adam and Eve had given their right to rule, the authority that God had given them, they had given it over to Satan. And when they sinned, death came into the world, 
all the pain of human relationships, women and childbirth, the relationship between man and wife, or husband and wife would be at, at odds with one another. There would be all of these things. Work would be hard. There would be all these things that were curses. But it was all because man had forfeited their right to rule that God had given them. They had given authority over the earth to Satan. It's why he's called the ruler and the prince of the earth and of this world. Satan is authority over the earth. But here's why the cross is so important. It doesn't just forgive us of our sin. It does. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, we see this amazing work that Jesus did at the cross. Paul writes, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. This is the law that was against us that shows us our sinfulness and that stood opposed to us. He took all of that away and he nailed it to the cross. But not only, and this is often where we stop, salvation is this personal thing for me. He forgave it. He cleansed me. He made me new. But Jesus went much further. The cross was much more cosmic than just my relationship with God and your relationship with God. It was much more cosmic. What happened is having disarmed the powers and the authorities. Who's the powers and the authorities? Satan and his demons. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, there was something that happened. It wasn't just about our salvation. It was also about the taking back of authority from Satan into the hands of Jesus. Jesus triumphed over the enemy at the cross. He lived in perfect relationship with the Father, what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. He brought the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. We're living now in this already but not yet tension. The kingdom will fully come one day. But he came and brought the rule and reign of God and took back authority that had been forfeited by Adam and Eve in the garden. Which is why, if you go back then to Matthew 28, Jesus is able to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. Jesus has all authority in heaven. The Father has given him that. But Jesus also has all authority on earth, not just because he's God, but because he took it back at the cross. Authority becomes a huge issue. It becomes a huge issue for the kingdom and for the church to walk in the authority. The minute that we decide that I'm gonna go do something on my own, I've stepped away and I'm walking in my authority. But when we live in relationship with Jesus, his authority flows through us. Charles Kraft, in his book, I Give You Authority, likens this authority to 
a credit card that's given by a parent to their teenage son or daughter. And so they give this credit card to their teenage son and daughter so that while they're out driving the family car, if they need gas, they can get gas. Or if there's some expense and that child needs something, they can run it past their parents. Hey, mom, hey, dad, I need such and such. And they can say, you have the permission, you have the authority to use my credit card, my account, to be able to buy what needs to be done. Authority is given to the child by the parent to utilize that credit card. Now, what happens if that child turns 18 and says, I'm off on my own. I'm not going to live under your house, mom or dad. I'm going to go do it my way. The parent is going to say, well, if you're going to go do it and live on your own, guess what I need back? I need my credit card back. As long as that child lives under the household, lives under the authority of the parent, as long as that child lives in that right relationship with the parent, that credit card, that parent is happy to give it, the authority to use it. But the moment that child decides, I'm gonna go off and go do and go live on my own, now they're no longer under the authority of the parent. Now they can no longer use that. This is what authority looks like. Imagine, I say, I want to live and use the authority of Jesus. But I decide, I'm going to go live my own way. I decide, Jesus, my plans and purposes are pretty good. You can come bless me. Is this how it works? Where's the authority? Why can I no longer do what I used to do? Why? Because I'm not living in alignment with the Lord. The only way the authority flows is if I'm in alignment with him. This is why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you and you will bear much what? Fruit. This is for the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. You cannot bear fruit if you are deciding, God, I got my own idea over here. And the vine is over here pouring out life. God, why aren't you blessing? Why isn't there fruit? He's saying, it's time to come over. And not just a long way away from me. You're going to get some. But... This is about intimacy and closeness and connectedness with Jesus. Where the spirit flows, where the presence of God is, this is where power and authority live. Not on our own, not away doing my thing, but in deep intimacy where we seek his presence, where we are filled with the power of the spirit, where we are coming in alignment with the authority of Jesus where we are living in that place. These are the resources of heaven. And this is how we access those resources. Presence, power, and authority. All of this is relationship. All of it is relationship. Relationship. 
hungering and thirsting after him. It's our privilege as his children to come into that place. The scriptures say he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Presence, power, and authority for his church to be what he called his bride to be. We want to take these next moments on this communion Sunday to be with him. We want to exalt the one who paid for the forgiveness of our sin, who canceled the written code with all of its rules and regulations that were against us. But also, we want to exalt the one who took back authority from the evil one and who now gives it to us. We want to come to a time where the Spirit of God in the presence of Jesus were able to come and to commune with him. We, we don't believe that the juice and the bread become the body and the blood of Christ. But I do think that there is a uniqueness that when we gather together and we seek his presence, he loves to be with us. He loves to commune with us as we come to the table together. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body that's broken for you and my blood that is shed for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And he said this, I will not eat or drink of the vine again until I come into my kingdom, until the fullness comes. And so as we do this as well, we are remembering the work of Jesus, celebrating the work of Jesus, honoring the work of Jesus together. If those who are going to serve, if you would come forward at this time, we want to spend this time with the Lord. As you receive the elements, would you hold them and just spend some time with the Lord? We had opportunity for folks to come and just to pray at the altar last week. I would just remind you and encourage you that if you want to just spend some time, maybe even as you would celebrate and prepare your heart to celebrate and give thanks to Jesus, even for that outpouring of the Spirit, that filling of the Spirit, even just saying, Lord, would you stir up hunger in me for that, that you would come spend some time with him, the altar would be open for that. You don't need to be a member of this church, but simply a member of the family of God having trusted Jesus as your savior. Jesus, as we come to your table together, we come to remember and we come to celebrate. Remember your great sacrifice. It's what we were due but you took it for us and we give you thanks. We remember your body broken and your blood shed for us. And we come as well to be with you. Jesus, would you encounter us as we celebrate your work, as we remember your work. May you stir up hunger and desire for you 
as we spend this time together. In Jesus' name. you would peel that top layer off to expose the bread and to take that cracker. I'm reminded as I think about the work of Jesus of how John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that word you may have heard before for dwelling is the same idea as tabernacled. How in the Old Testament, the presence of God came and tabernacled was amongst the people at the tabernacle and again, ultimately at the temple. And Jesus, the word made flesh, came and tabernacled among us. This resource of the presence, Jesus came to be among us. 
God becoming flesh. And that flesh having sin laid upon. The perfect, sinless, guiltless Son of God having the sin of the world laid upon. That written code that condemns us laid upon him. The punishment that should have been ours laid upon him in that flesh. The one who came to be the presence among us also carried our sin, our shame, our guilt, our sickness, our disease upon himself at the cross. As we eat, let us eat humbly thanking him for taking on flesh and bearing our sin, burden, and weight. Let us eat together. And as we often do, if you want to just take a few moments of expressing thanks to the Lord in your own words, thanks to Jesus for taking that sin weight, your sin weight, our sin weight, and all of its consequences upon his body, express your thanks to him. Thank you, Jesus, for offering your body for our sin. If you would peel that second layer away to ex expose the juice. As Jesus' blood was shed for us, and as he uttered those final words, it is finished and gave up his spirit, we're told that the, te the, the curtain that separates into the Holy of Holies was torn from the top down as Jesus breathed his last breath. That God came down <laughs> and tore it because our great high priest and mediator by his once for all sacrifice, his perfect blood shed, made access into the presence of God where only the high priest would go once a year to offer sins on behalf of the people, where we now are able to enter into the most holy place with boldness and with confidence because of our Savior shed blood, the one who went and offered himself for us so that we might know his presence so that we might receive his power, so that we might live under and walk in his authority. We exalt the one whose blood made this all possible. Let us drink in thanksgiving to Jesus together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in the power that was exercised and demonstrated at the cross when your perfect blood was shed 
for the forgiveness of our sin and for the recovery of the authority to rule this earth from Satan. Thank you, Father, as we stand in this place that you are everything for us. Increase our hunger for your presence. Help us to walk more and more in your power, Holy Spirit. Would you pour yourself out upon us in fresh ways, filling us. And may we walk in dependence upon the one who gives us authority, the Lord Jesus. Father, you are so good to have offered your son in this way. Holy Spirit, we continue to welcome your work. Receive our praise now as we declare the power that is in the blood of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to rise.